0: The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome to the Utah Symphony's Ghost Light Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists that make it. My name is Jeff Counts, I'm your host, and I'm joined today by Maestro Thierry Fisher, music director of the Utah Symphony. Welcome, Maestro Fisher.
1: Hello, nice to be with you.
0: You're on Skype with us from Geneva. Thank you for making the time. It's great to hear your voice. We're going to talk today about season planning. This is the great alchemy of the symphony business, and it's a very complex process. Tell us, how far out do you begin planning your programs for a symphony season?
1: I basically think about programming nonstop so it's it's very very long process, and it's difficult to say that I have to start on that day to finish on that date. Usually we start to put the season in place two years before it starts and then hoping to be ready the summer before the season actually starts, right. like now August. 16 we're ready for the season 17 18 and what's left for next season is only a few contractual things with artists or or traveling but the season is absolutely ready and i'm already thinking about 18 19 and we will start working on 18 19 in september
0: so is it safe to say that you have several seasons spinning in your head at any one time absolutely Are there some other factors that inform your decisions about repertoire and guest artists? What goes into making these decisions?
1: It's a conjunction of facts. Of course, when I arrived at the Utah Symphony, I saw the programs before I was there and I noticed there was a lot of variety in the in the programming and I loved it so I thought it would be very good to keep uh, all this and add a few new ideas when you have a new music director of course there are some uh, new ideas coming up so the way I am thinking apart from excellence as you mentioned the new questions is that our programming is a motivation basically for for three of four entities for the marketing department to be able to sell the season Mm -hmm. for the orchestra to be able to be motivated and to be looking forward to play all these pieces for the audience to be motivated to buy tickets to come to as many concerts as possible and also for the board because they have somehow to fund it in the end but of course we cannot please everybody this is absolutely impossible as we know of course but I am also looking for repertoire which can develop the confidence of the orchestra Mm -hmm. and the cohesion of of the ensemble as well with strong focus on specific repertoire. And that's how the idea of doing cycles came to my mind.
0: I do want to talk to you about cycles, but I have another question because you mentioned all these different constituencies, the staff, the orchestra, the audience, the board, all of these people that care so much about what you plan. I'm sure you get a lot of feedback along the way during the process. Are Are there... people that you trust to give you the best advice during the process or are you really trying to make these decisions all by yourself?
1: I do believe, I strongly believe that all the advices are the best. People who are giving me advices have strong ideas when they talk about it, you know, when they they express their thoughts and they Tell me, you know, we should have more of this, less of that. And I take all the advices extremely seriously. We also uh, have started very recently some musicians, you know, to give us a list of uh, pieces they want to play or even artists they want to have. That's very interesting. Of course, in the end, I take the final decisions. But what do I do with these advices? Honestly, on top of taking them seriously, I write them down. I have, you know, programming is a non stop state of mind as I told you at the beginning, I have a little book where I write all the ideas, either when I'm, tra- when I'm traveling or reading a book or alone you know, at home or listening to somebody telling me something. I-, I write everything down. And I read a lot this book I have with me when I take notes. All this is just pushing me to develop concepts, to have more clarity on the vision, and especially to have consistency. What we program is having actually only one big idea in the back of all the decisions, which is continue the growth and find the repertoire which is needed for the orchestra to continue to grow, and with giving a lot of satisfactions to all the constituencies where I mentioned at the beginning.
0: So a lot of voices, but one one decision maker, very important. Um, you mentioned symphony cycles before, and you seem you seem drawn to that as a programming concept. What do you find appealing about that style of programming, the symphony cycle style?
1: You know, I've never done cycles before I arrived in Utah. So this idea, I arrived um, when I saw what could make the orchestra getting better and better. The orchestra was very, very good when I arrived. But, you know, you always want to to achieve uh, the best you can and I noticed in the past programming that there were not so many classical style music like Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven, Schubert so I start my first season with the Beethoven cycle and when you do a cycle you make a clear definition of stylistic rules which you work on a complete season like with a Beethoven cycle nine weeks in a season you work on one single style and then The clearer you get as a collective for an orchestra about the rules you have to respect, then the freer you get as well as an ensemble, because you cannot be free because you decide to be free and giving the sense of improvisation. You can be free artistically only if the entire ensemble is going in the same direction. And that's where freedom starts, in an expressive approach. So with cycles what I love is that a cycle shows an ensemble an orchestra, their strength, their strongest points but it's also showing the less strong sides of an orchestra and the strength of the composer, the demands of the composer is actually making this more equal within the ensemble, almost imperceptibly all through the season. It was obvious with Beethoven. Then the second season, for example, I decided to do a Mendelssohn cycle. And then I wanted to have a cycle about Nielsen just to develop the sense of creativity in the programming and also to develop the sense of personal preparation and collective preparation in the orchestra because not many people had played all the symphonies. So there was a strong need for the orchestra to prepare differently from what they were used to. The manner, the idea was not only to celebrate Abravanel's legacy, but also to increase the collective confidence. And this was so obvious all through the two years of our cycle, if you see the difference of confidence in the attack, in the risk-taking of the ensemble in terms of dynamics, articulation, and, you know, freedom between the 1st and the ninth symphony, it's absolutely stupefying.
0: People will be able to see the results of that work on the Mahler symphony. There's already a Mahler one recording out and a Mahler eight recording due to come out next year, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm sure there will be a huge difference. Yeah.
0: It's fascinating the way you describe how cycles can improve um, an orchestra, not only globally but, but, but in very small ways as well. What composers are you considering for cycles in upcoming seasons? Are you willing to give us a sneak peek, Maestro? Joker. <laughs>
1: now, I mean, I not tell you all my plans, but you can imagine that yeah. then if I don't do them.
0: So, so you not- you you keep that card in your hand. I totally understand. I have I have my last question for you is the hard one, and I I hope you don't mind being put on the spot this way. But I know that season planning for you connects to the vision you have for the orchestra and your overall goals for the company as a whole. I know this already. But the question I have for you is should the culture of an institution influence the programming or should it be influenced by the programming?
1: Yes and no and both. Okay. <laughs> programming is, is like cooking, for example. There is no recipe. I mean there, there there is a recipe, what but what creates magic is when you don't respect the recipe and you just add this little vegetable or spice and then actually it's a miracle Mm. so with programming it's the same I think I am respecting the institutional culture I am in in Utah as long as I am respected in terms of the total artistic freedom I want to have and I think we are doing both since I arrived and I'm very grateful uh, that we have been to be you know going this way I think inevitably as a music director, I feel not influenced, but I feel I am aware of the surrounding of the institutions I am uh, in that community. And inevitably, the community is also aware and influenced with my visions, with my speeches, with the tempi I am taking in very known symphonies and etc. So I think our vision should be very ambitious, but also accessible, that people know that we can get there. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one to say that the best answer is to listen to each other, and we all have different responsibilities.
0: Fascinating conversation, Maestro, and you have our thanks for taking the time today. One more thing before you go, since this podcast is called The Ghost Light, and part of that has to do with the tradition of keeping ghosts away out of the theater, I wonder, have you ever seen a ghost? If so, please tell us about it.
1: (laughs) Symbolically, I see very sadly too many ghosts. And uh, I'm trying to show these symbolic ghosts that they will have absolutely no impact on the notion of perpetual improvement.
0: That's the best answer we could have hoped for, Maestro. Thank you very much for taking the time today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: This weekend, the Utah Symphony begins its 16-17 season on September 9 and 10. Terry Fisher will conduct Beethoven Piano Concerto No. 1 with soloist Jonathan Biss. Tchaikovsky's Symphony No. 5 is also on the program. The following Tuesday, we'll have our season opening gala with Beethoven's Symphony No. 5. And Marianne Huntsman will perform Rachmaninoff's Second Piano Concerto. Marianne will be on next week's show talking about the work she's done already to get kids involved with classical music. The Ghostlight Podcast is produced by Chad Call, and Utah Symphony, Utah Opera's season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Doria Eccles Foundation.